0: The next time you want to withhold your help, or your love, or your support for another, for whatever the reason, ask yourself a simple question. Do the reasons you want to withhold it reflect more on them or on you? And which reason do you want defining you forevermore? This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer behind the scenes, Marcus Sassen. Today's guest is Tim Kelly, a sports performance coach at Virginia High Performance. Tim was recommended to me by one of my favorite guests so far, Danny Foley, and he didn't let us down. Today, we covered how Tim works with clients that have spinal issues, the importance of training an overhead athlete holistically, and living your life to serve. I got a lot out of this podcast, and I hope you do as well. And if you have been finding value in any of these podcasts, taking the time out of your day to rate it would be amazingly helpful for where we want to really take this thing. Thank you guys for listening. All right. Well, uh, Tim, it's awesome to have you on the podcast today. I'm excited for you to be here.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Um, (laughs) We may just dive in or what's up?
0: Yeah. So do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your like background and kind of how you got into the world of sports performance and what kind of your upbringing
1: looked like? Uh yeah man um so i guess like most coaches uh, i played a lot of sports um some don't i know but uh for me that was definitely uh the gateway <laughs> i did not have any uh concrete profession type of plans for the longest time i thought i was like yeah, i'm going to be a pro baseball player right that's like that's the only thing in mind like most of us athletes do um but before i even got into my um, love affair with baseball. Um, my first sport I did was uh, taekwondo or, or martial arts. Um, my parents got me into that. And that, uh, I think, set a lot of really good habits in motion um, for, for me to. I always tell people to ask me, uh, like, what should my kid do for sports performance? And I'm like, honestly, probably martial arts or gymnastics. <laughs> Definitely the martial arts piece, because it, it has a lot of that mindset and discipline stuff that, uh, you know, people like to talk about when talking about self-development um, and that really gets it ingrained young in a, in a really fun way. So for me, that was um, kind of a big part of getting into coaching or teaching because I think my first experience with that was with my right sensei or master or whatever the different martial arts call their um, their teacher, right? Um, so journey on some more baseball gets really big in my life. I, uh, get pretty good at it as well from being uh, a big guy and, and being pretty fast and just a generally a good athlete, having some good genetics and, uh, got a pretty big offer to go to Virginia tech and was pretty pumped up about that until, uh, blew my shoulder out my senior year of high school. And, uh, that put a little bit of damper on things, but I'd already signed my letter of intent. You know, luckily I was going there to be a two way guy at the time. so. They weren't uh, totally like, uh, you know, going to back out on me just because I hurt my shoulder. But I I knew that was going to be a big battle to overcome going into college when I had that conversation with the coach at the time. And that first year was really rough on me. Uh, It also was kind of my my crucible or or cornerstone type of thing. So I think it's one of the main things that got me into strength and conditioning. Um, It really opened up my eyes to seeing as like, hey, man. Baseball might not be there at some point, right? It was kind of young and naive, didn't have a backup plan. You know, I was taking um, exercise science type of classes, anatomy, physiology, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I even thought that for a while there I want to be an orthopedic, right? So like a shoulder guy since i had hurt my shoulder. And the more I got down, some of the academia and, and medicine and, and different things like that. And even just going through the experience of my own shoulder injury, which I did not get surgery on after doing a lot of research and talking with the the university doctors and stuff about that. Um, I was like, you know what? <laughs> the biggest thing that Virginia Tech drew me in with was their motto, right? Is ut prosum. So it means that I may serve. And I think that just spoke a lot to my character. And uh, one of the big reasons I picked them over a lot of other schools, because I thought, you know, this is, just a good fit for who I am and and what I wanted to do with my career baseball career. Um, and then it didn't end up working out between the baseball part and then the school part as well. Uh, I ended up transferring to junior college and, um, that took like 21 credit hours just to be able to be eligible to transfer to hopefully another division one university. Um, that was a really crazy time in my life. And I was trying to figure out why I was having such a hard time in school. Um, and I went to talk to a lot of people and, you know, a lot of the, uh, psychiatrists or doctors sports psychiatrists were like, Hey man, you might have ADD, ADHD, anxiety, that type of stuff. Right. And some people don't think that it's, a uh, thing um but i mean hell if you can tell the way i'm talking right now it's super fast and and it's just kind of how my brain works right the way i just explain it to people is that things go really fast for me and being able to slow things down is really hard um it doesn't make me super intellectual i just that's kind of like high speed all the time but i'm also a pretty laid back guy as far as my personality so it's, it's pretty paradoxical i think um but uh yeah so anyways <clears throat> all that stuff really uh hit home and, and I ended up transferring to the university of Maryland, Baltimore County. Yeah. That was, uh, uh, another eye opener because again, I was like, man, I'm getting to the end of my career here. I really don't know what I want to do. And then also between all of the credit juggling and going through just the, the NCAA standards, like just how much stuff hoops, the athletes have to jump through. I wasn't really able to land on my feet academically. I didn't get to finish in four years. I ended up switching out of the, you know, human exercise and performance and, you know, basically science-based degree and went with media and communication. So I was like, Hey, this is easy. I can finish on time. And it's easy enough. I can study all this stuff that I need to pass my CSCS with in my free time, right? And uh, that's what I did. <laughs> so I just I kind of I picked the the easy way out, I guess, at the time, and it allowed me to focus on baseball um, and, and give that that kind of pro dream one last shot, which wasn't going to happen with the, the bum shoulder. But uh, you know, still wasn't ready to give it up yet. Everybody has a turning point when it's got to come to hang up the cleats. Yeah, it, I think it was also a, a blessing as well because having done some of the academia with the you know exercise science and some of the very um, rigid standards. Like again, you need to have your foundation as far as information and, and knowledge of kind of what we do, right? The human body and, and physiology, and, and basically just basic biology and chemistry. Uh, I think it also allowed me to go into the profession with a very open mind, if not too open. So I had to be refined a lot by uh, a lot of my mentors, right? Like by like Vernon and Danny, and a lot of other people along the way. I think uh, like anything, it's it's being able to take your your weaknesses and, and strengthen them. So that's kind of a big big principle that I use with my clients, whether it be mindset or just right, what we're doing on our periodization and, and, and type of, uh, specific stuff to strength and conditioning.
0: Yeah. So how, when, when you got out of it and you, uh, you said you switched that major, how did you get back into the strength conditioning world?
1: <laughs> I just knew that I wasn't cut out for like an office job and I didn't want to work for like, uh, you know, a media company. And like, that, that's what my degree was for. Right. It was like, Oh, like, you know, go to a, Work be a Twitter operator or uh, Instagram operator like that just sounds silly to me. It's like it's literally a a major and a and a, uh, a thing now to profession and nothing against those people. I think it's very important as we navigate this kind of new social social economical political landscape with social media um, and how much it really does play effect in, on all of our lives. Um, but that's just not what I wanted to do. I, I was wasn't ready to give up my relationship with sports and people. Um, like being a teammate, you know, that was, I was a big part of me. I love my teammates and stuff like that. And uh, strength and conditioning was like the perfect fit for that. I was like, I mean, I get to talk to people all day about stuff I like to do in my free time anyways, and I get paid for it. Like, how do I do that? Right. So I, uh, I basically just hit up a couple different places. I, I stayed one summer, um, trying to catch up on school and interned with, uh, uh, University of Maryland Baltimore strength staff and did a bunch of stuff for those guys and just watched. And then, um, there's another place. Back in my hometown of Hampton, I had trained that a couple of times before and I hit them up and I was like, hey, can I you know just come in and, and shadow? Right, I live down the street kind of thing. And they um, were like, sure, you can come, come hang out and watch. And at both of those places, I was, you know, I got to observe a lot. I did the, the same thing at, at Virginia High Performance um, that last kind of semester before I got out and uh, spent three four months here and they were putting me to work man they were were like hey coach this guy up like what do you think like there it was a much more hands-on experience um than the other internships even though again all three of them were kind of self-started not like a standard internship like you'd have to apply for for like a college strength and conditioning job where you've got to send in a resume and you know do the kind of (laughs) professional things. I, I definitely just use my social skills and, and being able to talk to them and, and show my show my passion for it. And uh, I think that should shine through enough that they're like, oh, yeah, well, like, this guy seems like he's, he's good enough to have around. So we'll, uh, we'll let him hang around and see what he's got. And I guess I impressed him enough to give him a job. Either that or I tricked him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I love that. I think that's kind of where a lot of it's going is less of the like what's on your resume and more of how can you communicate with a person that, hey, I'm passionate about this job. I'm passionate about wanting to do this with you.
1: I think the fact that they let me work with some people and they also got to see how I trained and, and just the conversations I had with you know, Vernon and Danny and, and uh, just all the people that were coming in through the gym at the time. Um, they, they knew that kind of got it right. Like it just it was part of my life and, and it was going to be with some work, something I could really turn into a profession. So I was very appreciative of that.
0: So I want to bring it back to that that shoulder injury, and a lot of coaches that I talk to, the reason they got into coaching is either because a coach was really, really good to them, and they're like, I could have this effect, or a coach was really, really bad to them, and it's like, I don't want to have that effect on people so I'm going to change that when you had this surge shoulder injury what 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 were kind of the coaches around you like did you did you have a good surrounding and that you're like oh this is cool this is awesome or was it like they kind of casted you away and you're like all right I need to change this going forward
1: uh it was both man um I had a lot of great coaches growing up especially for uh, strength and conditioning right this this guy Leland Salamana for IGA uh uh, sports performance got a place over here in uh, the 757 Tidewater area and I trained with him for all long time and and he was really good about teaching me stuff and and also i don't even remember those big box velocity gyms right it's like kind of like the before the parisi speed schools really took off as well it was like that that was a thing so i had a couple coaches from there that were really good uh mentors and stuff like that for for this profession uh as far as baseball though man um yeah that's a that's a real hit or miss um at virginia tech the guy i went to play for was a real players coach and he uh he really went to bat for me and he got me to travel and play a little bit. And, and uh, really was the reason I got recruited to Virginia tech. And then, uh, I got hurt. Right. And he still batted, you know, went to bat for me. And then, uh, we ended up going to super regionals that year. And, uh, he, we did so well that he got a job with Oklahoma that next year. And, uh, <laughs> then the guy that came in wasn't too happy with, uh, you know, basically where my performance was at. And the fact that I was injured, right. I kind of, learn then and there, um, whether it was college or pro right at the end of the day, right. There's a bottom, bottom line, right. Especially when you're talking about a, a big stage, like a division one university or uh, a pro right team, right. There was a, you know, at, at the end of my baseball career, I was still doing pretty good. And definitely from a, a potential standpoint, had a lot of athletic potential, but I uh, had one of the older coaches sit me down. He's like, Hey man, like physically you are good enough to play in the big leagues he's like but the thing is is those guys have a bottom line right he's like your damage goes with your shoulder and then also with how much you bounce around and just how you haven't been able to string together consistent seasons right and he's like you just ran out of time man this is what happened um i feel so much better now i wish i could have kept playing i think maybe if i had uh you know gone the independent ball route which i had the opportunity to do or or in the other countries we call it party ball right in, in Europe and Australia not taking away anything from those guys so they're definitely really good baseball players but to me uh, I, I definitely thought it was uh, taken away from what I wanted to do with strength and conditioning and then also yeah just the this whole shoulder thing was really eye-opening to me about how that whole interaction is between player athlete organization and coaches right it's, it's very dynamic and, and never changing so yeah, I, I would say it was both positive and negative, right? I don't think anybody ever treated me with disrespect. Um, but at the same time, like I got the ideas like, hey, man, like <laughs> your damaged goods kind of thing we will give you a shot. But if you're not going to perform, right, then then you don't get to keep playing. And that's, that's something everybody has to go through, whether it's just sitting on the bench when you get to a college, cause you're not good enough or it's cause you get injured and you just, you can't get back to where you were. Um, I think it's something a lot of athletes go through and, uh, me and my buddy who played baseball in college, not the same one, I uh, joke about a lot, but he was like, we worked really, really hard to be incredibly average. <laughs> um, and, uh, just that perspective is pretty relieving though, right? Uh, baseball, more so than any sport, gives you a lot of lessons with failure. And, uh, you know, what did I say, first attempt in learning, right? I think I took a lot more than first, but uh, it definitely has kind of uh, refined my uh, discipline and, and uh, thought process when it comes to coaching or um, just my, the way I live my life as well. So that injury definitely is, will always be with me, and uh, I'm definitely going to try to transmute it into something positive, uh, even if it wasn't as a pro athlete, right? Um, and I hope I'm having that effect on people.
0: Yeah. And I think that's something you talked about. You worked really hard to be average as something. And when, when, when you're, you're able to take that to a sector where if you work really hard, it's less genetics based and less, like if you're actually working really, really hard at the field of strength conditioning, you can, the sky's the limits for you. Oh, so I yeah. think that's one thing that's super powerful with sports itself is it's not so much what you did on the field, but it's what you learned on the field and the mindset that you're able to apply later to life if on the field isn't your life after you graduate college if you're not professional but you're able to take those skill sets that you learned on the field and apply it to the rest of life and that's where you see a lot of athletes after if they're able to process those things succeed to the next level
1: absolutely my uh, my wife played soccer at bmi and she got hired by Enterprise uh, a couple of years ago. And one thing I didn't know about Enterprise is like they love D- Division One athletes, right? They, like, they have a whole business model based off of hiring athletes just because that, that sales culture they have there is very competitive and it's, it's very young and energy driven. Um, and you really get to see um, the, the good qualities of, of student athletes shine through in that, that profession especially. But I know that a lot of other um, you know, industries will, will look for athletes as well um they got their head on straight you know so it's it's pretty amazing
0: now we transition and we we, we touched on a little bit with the, the the valleys and the mountains with you with that shoulder but this is kind of the part in the podcast where we go into some tough spot in your life that you were stuck in and kind of the mindset it took to get out of that tough spot. So a lot of people see where you're at now and they see like after that post uh, shoulder injury and maybe if you hadn't even talked about it, they would just see you as a coach now and like, oh, he's kicking ass at this. Like he knows all these things. But can you kind of talk about what were kind of the mindsets that allowed you to get through that valley? Maybe it was a shoulder, maybe it was some other sort of failure that allowed you to get through that spot. And now that you're using today in your coaching and is allowing you to succeed at the highest levels.
1: Probably that transition point at junior college to to UMBC was a big one. Um, uh, It really gave me the kind of light bulb to go off in order to understand is like, hey, this is about more than baseball, about more than your shoulder, um, really opening my, my brain and my body, uh, up to, you know, a lot of other things out there and options, right. Uh, there was a point there that I thought was like, Hey, maybe it, it just baseball isn't for me. Maybe I should just move home and and just get a job and, and go finish school. Right. And try to figure out what that looked like. Um, and then, like I said, I was fortunate enough between taking all those credit hours and stuff. UMBC gave me a a full tuition ride to go there. Actually they paid for me to sit out a year too. Um, and just show me that they really valued, uh, me, right. Not necessarily what I could do for the team as far as my performance, even though obviously they saw something there as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, they really valued me as a person. And that really stuck with me when I, uh, kind of did that internship with Virginia high performance. Right. And now and work here. Um, those guys also valued me as a person and, uh, Um, We're obviously kind enough to to give me a job based off of my merits. And uh, I've been trying to pay that forward um, and just really give people um, that same value. Right. Show them that they have value and uh, being able to see that in any situation, um, regardless of. (laughs) <laughs> where they're at in their life I, I know danny mentioned that uh you know i, I work with a lot of uh, spine and uh kind of neurological injury guys um i tried to pay that forward with my, my good friend i played baseball with before we went off to college um my last year when i was getting ready to try to go work at bhp right when i was doing it for free for a while um you know he got in a pretty bad accident um diving in the pool or whatever and uh yeah i had had uh, a partial paralysis or full paralysis at the time, I guess, from the neck down is what what they call an incomplete quadriplegic. And uh, yeah, man, the the empathy with me and just, I shared a bed with that guy for like, I don't know, a month um, before we went off to college playing summer ball and just seeing something serious like that happen to him uh, and trying to imagine what that would feel like if it was me. Um, I just knew that I had to reach out to him and like, train him. You know, I was like, if I was me, I would want to train, <laughs> you know what I mean? that is was just, it's such a part of an athlete's life that you got to keep that in your habits and your routine. And he's doing amazing right now. Um, and it's also been a, a nice little kind of um, career developer for me because I've, I've since working with him three years ago, Um just kind of us reconnecting, right? It's brought on a lot of other people through VHP's program. Um that I've probably five or six guys I've gotten to work with of varying degrees of those kind of spinal cord or neurological injuries. And uh yeah, it's been pretty awesome for my career development, but really it's been great just for my life, having those people in my life and uh making it more than about the training, you know.
0: Yeah, and I I think it puts things really into perspective for you of I think a lot of people struggle. Like we have a lot of really big first world problems that we, we struggle with on the day that we like all this, this. And then when you see something like that, it opens up your eyes. Like, uh, dude, the the car in front of me, that's going slow. Like that, that is nothing compared to what some people are going through.
1: Perspective is uh, definitely something I got in college and and also trying to get into the strength and conditioning field without a strength and conditioning approved degree. (laughs) So I get that. I, and I,
0: I love the other point where you talked about how you value the person as a person, because that's something that I, I really try to emphasize with my athletes is it, it even at the highest of levels, like if, if you're not valued as a person at any moment, that's taken away from you. So that's something I, I really love as a coach, being able to put it like it doesn't I don't care what you provide to me on the field value wise. Like, like you mentioned, there is a bottom line. And once you get to the and that's why I don't love being a of specific sports coach, like a football coach, okay. because and when you're in that position, you need to make those decisions and you need to value people off that. But as a strength coach, I'm able to, my goal is to build everybody up, build everybody up holistically. And you're not valuing people off. All right. That person can score me eight touchdowns. That person's going to fumble the ball every time they touch them. So is that person less than this person? So I love yeah. that you made that point.
1: Yeah. That's uh, that's something we talk about a lot here in, and uh, Virginia high performance, just be the change, right? Cliche, but it's something we do try to uh, embody in our coaching. Um, and I think a lot of people are doing that. I'm seeing all kinds of crazy stuff on the social media and, and just in general. And the way I see people interact, I know the news tries to <laughs> scare us off otherwise, but um, yeah, I mean, I think people are at the, at the bottom of the, or uh, deep down, right. And good people. And I think everybody wants to, to do better. So um, it's cool to be a part of that. So in in
0: your coaching specifically, is there anything that you implement or you try to implement every session to hopefully build that up? Is there do you guys do debriefs or is it something where you just try to make contact with every single athlete that you work with every day? Like how is that kind of manifest itself in person for coaches that are listening to this?
1: Um, Yeah, those soft skills. Um, Really just your conversational skills and and knowing when to bring that stuff up and not trying to force it. Um, Something definitely early on, I think I tried to force just because I know it's an important thing. Um, but it also can get in the way of the training session too. Right. Um, so learning that soft skill of, you know, whether it's in the warm up or at the end, right. A lot of my athletes now, especially on my very high sympathetic type of days where it's, you know, a very heavy load, absolute strength type of training day, or very high velocity type of day, uh, just something where I know that I'm stressing their nervous system out purposefully. Um, I always try to to have them do some basically progressive relaxation at the end and give them that kind of you know, less woo woo guided meditation and breathing talk down at the end, I have them put their feet up and, and use that, that ramp up as a way in to the cool down and really being able to not only bring them down physiologically, but also like psychologically and, and emotionally, you know? Um, and that's where I really get a lot of, I guess, coaches call it buy-in. Um, but to me, it's just my relationship with that person. I could care less if they're going to go be a hall of famer or if they're just going to go work it whatever their job is, um, I just evaluate that time with them. It's so it's very short. We all get it. Um, you know, on what two, three hours a week with a lot of our guys and then some maybe more, obviously if you're in a college or high school setting, but um it just depends uh on on how you use that time. So I just try to use it subtly, but uh make that little brief bit of time very impactful.
0: Yeah. And making sure they get the most out of the three to four hours that they know you for. Yep.
1: Yeah. And, so and I'm, I even go beyond that. And, you know, I try to occasionally reach out to them past my time training with them. And it's hard as you start to work with more and more people. Right. And, and trying to uh, shoot them that kind of touch point text and and just see how they're doing. But I, I try. Right. It's a lot of people after it starts to add up. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's something I think is uh, valuable to me as well. I just I genuinely enjoy working with all the people that I work with.
0: No, I love that you mentioned that point. Cause that's the uh, same thing I do with a lot, a lot of my clients. And one of the biggest like feedbacks I get is that, that text you sent me was like, that was awesome. And I like, to me, I just sent that text, like actually just checking in like, Hey, how are you doing after this? And that they like, like, Holy shit. Like this guy's actually checking in when it's not straight, like transactional.
1: Yep. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think people purposefully do that, but you know, there are some people that do make relationships very transactional. So, and, uh, that's unfortunate, but if, if we can be that change, right. I think that's, it's pretty awesome. And, and it definitely means we're doing our job well.
0: Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you work with the, the spinal neural population. So can you kind of talk about, did you just do research on your own to figure out how we can work around this? And like, like, right. how did you get, it, it was, you talked to you started training your buddy, but how did you go about training your buddy and getting results <laughs> with him?
1: Um, it wasn't pretty at first. It's still not pretty when I have some guys come through. And I think just my experience with baseball and being able to fail, right? Like, you're, you're, there's going to be times you go up there and you look stupid swinging at like a curveball in the dirt, and you can't bring that with you to the next at bat if you want to hit a double or a home run. So it's the same way with training to me. Is like. Yeah, training is not going to be perfect. It's never going to be this perfect perfect thing. So I, I did a lot of research, um, obviously on the internet, and I ended up taking a. Um, if you ever get a chance to take it, the Integrated Connect Neurology course. Um, a lot of those can be rabbit holes, but the guys did a really good job of explaining the higher order systems and how, at the end of the day, everything boils down to the brain and the nervous system, and just really. Phrasing a lot of the deep um, academia into very simple, digestible terms uh, for me, um, and then uh, also just my own experience, right? That kinesthetic awareness as an athlete and trying to, you know, know what a certain exercise feels like for me, and then as much information as I can give that person who basically has a dimmer switch on their their feedback, right? So like everybody has biological feedback, um, proprioception, whatever you want to term it, um, but like for example, I had a uh, um, a guy I just finished up with recently who got in a BMX accident and he, uh, broke his neck, similar to my buddy, Sam. And, uh, he came in, he had already made a good bit of the journey. He was walking a little bit, you know, uh, but he had kind of this Frankenstein lurch thing. So his one leg, he just wasn't catching up to the other. Um, so the biggest thing I was like, well, that's pretty simple. It's just like, yeah, that's where the dimmer switch is, right? Everything down that right side through the sciatic uh, nerve area is just, it's dead, right? right dead-ish um so like that needs to be our point of emphasis so everything i did with him i don't change any of my training it's nothing fancy or woo woo i treat them like normal people and the same way we use all of our strength and conditioning principles with all of our athletes even though we vary them a little bit from sport to sport for specific energy demands. Um, I was just giving him as much feedback as possible, right? So I would sit him on the table every time. I would rub that leg down trying to get him to feel stuff. Um, and then obviously I would put him through a lot of like dorsiflexion, hip flexion, um, hip internal, external rotation, just trying to get that thing moving. And first I would do it passively so he could kind of feel it. Granted, this guy, he like it's hard to understand because I don't have that sensation, but he's like, yeah, I can't feel my right leg. But obviously when I'm holding his leg and moving around, he can feel something, right? It's like muted. So just using that dialogue to understand how to find what I'm trying to go for. So for him, it's that, that ignition, right? Trying to drive, right? We might be doing something like a, a leg press, right? So I'm sitting there on the table doing manual work with him. I will just cue him through that. I'm like, okay, pull and push, pull and push. And I'm taking his leg through that range of motion because it's not strong enough with his kind of neurological interface to do that. So it's something that most people would try to get him to do on his own right away. But instead of like really going below, um, our training principles, right? So I didn't even have him do a lot of squats or lunges the first week. Um, I just did a lot of table work. And then by the end of it, you just have to find ways to link ropes together from that time on the table of, right. Like I'm taking him into hip flexion then I'm having him push right into hip extension. And I'm just giving him extra gas while he's looking at it and doing it with his, with his eyes and and trying to feel it in his body. Um, And then by the end of it, right. uh, I wanted to, he was like kind of joking. He's like, I want to do a jumpy thing. Right. He's he's not an athlete. He just kind of was just, Trying to have fun and, and, and get after it a little bit. And I was like, how am I going to get this guy who is barely walking correctly to jump? Right. And obviously, after a couple of weeks, we kind of smoothed it out a little bit with a lot of the table work and, and some of the basic leg exercises you would do with somebody, right? Split squats, lunges, squats, hinges, everything. Um, and uh, I was like, you know what? I'll use the band unloaded method. Right. And it was like, he'll hold on to the bands and I'll just as simply as possible, take him through. Like, I'm just like, we'll just stand up on our toes and then pull your heels down. Right. And then you kind of let him do some like calf raises and I'm like, all right, and i just do that fast. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And he sure as hell was jumping by the end of it. Right. So someone who uh, couldn't walk well to being able to jump and being able to just link that, by, um, I don't know, just kind of intuition really. It's just like, I, I, he wants to jump. How am I going to do that? It's just a, a, an external task that I needed to accomplish. Um, instead of getting wrapped up on how we're going to do it, just do it. Right. So that was a, um, pretty cool thing to do. And definitely something that I just, yeah, my principle with those guys is just I don't treat them any differently. Maybe that's why it works. <laughs> I, I don't see them as having, uh, injuries, even though I know they do. Um, and I just try to, just whatever they have, I'm going to be there with them and give them as much feedback as possible, whether that's with a uh, implement with it's with my hands, it's assisting them, it's resisting them. Um, it's just, yeah, it's very, just very much in the moment and in that relationship with them. Um, obviously I have the the deeper understanding of the specific physiological thing I want them to do right with the leg, right? Whether it's like we said, knee flexion, hip flexion, the sequencing of all of those different joints together and try not to make it so um, difficult. For them to understand and trying to use layman's terms with them also helps, I think. I think uh, a big thing I got from baseball as well. I had the yips at some point. You ever had the yips? Yep, yeah. So, like, uh, I ended up talking to this guy, um and he had me do this little like psychological process where you think of right where you're having a hard time throwing the ball, you think of something metaphorical or, or imaginary. He's like, think of a person, a place, a thing, an image, right? I used to think of this little like like doodle. I used to do in high school, like a little little blurch monster thing, you know, like, Oh, there's something's goofing around. And, uh, that's what I would use to associate with like eating the baseball in my brain. Right. This like super weird, uh, creative kind of woo woo thing. But it's like, it's very easy to get, instead of trying to take someone through our anatomical jargon that we all know is setting the standards for what is happening in, in time and space with where their body's moving and giving them a very simple cue, such as like, uh, turtle shell, right? Like that's, that's the one Bernie likes to use with, with a core, right? Turning that, that rib down or that position into a turtle shell. Like people can think of a turtle shell in an instant, but like if you try to tell them, it's like, oh, bring your thoracic spine down two inches. Like, you know, most people aren't going to get that. So really, um, really trying to just be, uh, creative and, and take, Complex ideas that we we learned through our uh, search and higher education into very simple ideas that the, the person can use right away. I
0: like that. With uh, you, so he, he's going through this process. When when you're working with these type of clients, is it a a light bulb flips on for them, and then it's like, oh, like this is starting to make sense, or is it just a very subtle and gradual process, or is it <laughs> different between each client?
1: Uh, just like you're saying, man, it's like chopping wood. Uh, you know, uh, I get to see the guys a lot and um, it, it'll be different on different days. But uh, for the most part, it is like, again, with that guy, his example was trying to get that right leg to contribute more. Uh, I mean, there, I had him do pretty much every version of thing I could think of on his right leg only. It's like we're just going to spend more time on that right leg and just give him, uh, you know, more feedback and and more time to succeed, even though it's not going to look pretty. Um, and it's, uh, it's not going to necessarily be within our, uh, textbook periodization schemes, you know, but, um, I think it worked. (laughs) He was, he was doing some skips and jumps by the end of it. And he loved every second of it. And he definitely was moving a lot better, a lot stronger. Um, you know, And, and that's where I think, uh, yeah, that's where it's it comes boils down to is just those little little increments, and so I like your phrase, "keep chopping wood." But uh, um, yeah, to me, it's just training, right? And we're going to train range, sleet, or snow, and, and we're going to make progress every day. It might not be a lot, but it's going to be progress. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, I love that. So you talked about the failures that you've had with some of <laughs> these clients, and like just even this through this conversation, it seems like it's super like trying to figure it out almost as like you're going oh, yeah. like oh this isn't no working extra. i need to, I need to <laughs> adapt and switch so kind of how has that helped you in the rest of your coaching uh, cuz i feel like that has to be a phenomenal coaching tool like to have that pressure on of all oh, uh, this absolutely. might not work and i'm able to adapt
1: yep um yeah it's been uh it's been relieving um like i said definitely coming into the profession without a uh hard science degree and kind of having a little bit of that imposter syndrome um, whether that's a real thing or not, I don't know, but, uh, um, it's definitely made me a lot more confident and um, within my system and principles of, of things that I've been able to digest as far as uh, higher education information. And when it comes to physiology and, and, and training, uh, specificity, um, it's been able to allow me to fail forward, I think with my clients. Um, and, uh, again, I, my first principle is do no harm, right? Like any good doctor or strength coach should do, but uh, not comparing strength coaches to doctors by any means, but uh, you know, that's the first principle. And then after that, uh, I try to just push it as far as they can go for the day. Um, and uh, obviously within the plan that I have written up already for them, um, depends on the person. Some person uh, I've worked with a minor league baseball players and I've worked with 70 year old guys. Right. So, I mean, like uh, I've actually had a pretty cool, relationship with this one guy, 70 years old. He came to me uh and he was like, I want to bench press 315 pounds and do 10 pull-ups. And I was like, Whew, okay, man. <laughs> me too, right? No, but uh uh yeah, we did it. It wasn't pretty, um, but it, it took two years. Um and he, he sure as hell bench press 315 pounds, did 10 pull ups and, yeah. and actually just they looked and squatted for as well within reason. It wasn't with the straight bars, with the hex bar and the safety squat bar. But, you know, he's seven years old and he keeps, gets in there. And he, again, was uh, just real persistent three, four times a week with me. And uh, it's been pretty awesome to just have that relationship and, and apply that with my other people. You know, it's just, hey, if I'm, if I'm ballsy enough to work with people that have broken their neck and a seven year old that wants to bench press and, and squat double body weight. You know, I guess that's, it's paying off so far. I just obviously, uh, trying to put some rails there for them so they don't hurt themselves, obviously. But, uh, I think I've been training long enough to know what's too much and and what's not enough to create that stimulus or adaptation. So.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what's your, when you, when you're working with these clients that come with you with either huge goals or they're in a, you can see they're in a really tough spot where they, they they're they're not even walking, right? Like what's your communication process like to where you can give them enough energy and like hopefulness to go forward, but not enough to where it's like, maybe that's not realistic or you're trying to keep it realistic. Like how do you communicate that with them? Cause I feel like that's a big process (laughs) for these type of clients.
1: Uh, I think it's just my general energy for the day. And, and also, uh, Um, just the way I treat them as a person um, you know I think as soon as they kind of come in they have their own reservations and expectations and then when they see that I don't have any expectations for them other than hey this is what I think good training is and you know this is with uh, any normal or individual right regardless of injury or age and I use those metrics um, right whether it be relative strength ratios or or, uh, general movement principles as far as how they're uh, structurally aligned while moving and the, the speed and rhythm of that movement um and then like i said it's just linking that rope to get them there uh and sometimes they fall short and i just very simply put is like hey man <laughs> we're closer than we were when you walked in here and you know i appreciate your effort and uh i explained to them whatever that whatever level they did achieve why that's something too right it is it's something to be proud of it's the 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 trying to be grateful, even though you're not satisfied with where you're at. Right. I think that's just something I try to do in my life as well, is just being grateful for what I have, but also not being satisfied with where I'm at. And uh, just I live that and and people see that. then I think that, you know, their expectations that they had when they walked in the door kind of get changed or adapted to what I've set for them, um, which like I said, it usually isn't something specific. It's kind of, we're going to walk together and figure it out as we go. And then depending on where you're at, we'll decide whether we take that big leap or a little step.
0: So that's awesome. That that That's very similar to the, the keep chopping wood mentality of oh, yeah. as, long, as long as you're chopping wood, like maybe you didn't get that tree down today, but look, look how cl- much closer you are to getting that tree down. So I yep. l- freaking love that. That's awesome. <laughs> So now going into the um, the shoulder mechanics and kind of how you work with, because you talked about how you worked with some minor league baseball players and just kind of your baseball background. Can you kind of talk about the importance of throwing and like how you work with overhead athletes and kind of the the shoulder issues that you see and some of the the big issues that you are seeing in training that's going on now and what you kind of think it should be?
1: Um, well, I know when I was coming up, it was definitely... Um, really heavy emphasis on lower body strength and just strength for sake of being strong. Um, and then just kind of general stuff, upper body, right? So it's like I, when I hurt my shoulder, I was squatting like 400 pounds, but I couldn't bench press like 50 pound dumbbells. You know what I mean? Like I, I was doing push ups and you know, like maybe some pull-ups, um, and maybe some band cuff work. Um, but I don't think like, I don't know, you know, who Eric Cressy is right. And guys Oh like yeah. That baseball world. Um, they weren't easily accessible at the time. Um, at least not when I was kind of coming up into college. Um, and, uh, nowadays I think, uh, people do a really good job of taking all of the principles, right? So like should a a catcher or outfielder be able to squat four or 500 pounds? Absolutely. But if they can't do it, we're not going to keep chasing that strength when there's more specific things that we could be addressing, right. Especially when it comes to shoulder and, and posture, right. At the end of the day, that's shoulder health is, 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 a strong foundation, right. So healthy, uh, ankles and, and, and hips, right. And we, you know, uh, you know, Vern and follow him and he has a big, uh, you know, interest in that. So I took a lot from, from him. And then once that set, just really working on their, their, posture and when i say posture i mean their their thoracic uh spine either range of motion and or strength whether that be any kind of anti movement right any flexion and the extension and rotation uh or actually trying to create movement right i think a lot of um people um with the emphasis on like anti rotation is like that's all you need for core like rotational athletes um i think they miss the boat a lot by trying to create too rigid of a standard and with, uh, my guy that I was working with, he came in and he was like, "Hey, man, I need somewhere to train." And uh, he's like, "I kind of got I mean, a little bit of elbow tendonitis by the end of the season." He's like, "I was only squatting like two twenty-five, and it felt really hard." He's like, "Even though when I went into the season, I was, I was box squatting like three sixty-five or, or whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, man, that's not good. <laughs> you, you should not be dropping in strength that much over the course of the season." I used to see it all the time with my teammates. They would get wore out because baseball was a grindy sport. And they would uh, kind of stop trying to work out as hard, right? They'd still come and do the team lifts, but they weren't training, right? They were just kind of there to, to to check the box. And then those were the guys, the same guys that were like pulling hamstrings or getting elbow tendonitis or shoulder stuff. You know, not saying you need know, to max out in season or anything like that, but you know, there's plenty of coaches that have the know know-how now to uh, to really make sure their athletes are hitting those minimum effective doses to, to keep, uh, you know, realizations of their, their training cycles. Um, so when I saw them, I was like, you need to train your upper body, man. You got like horse legs and little girl arms. I was like, I I know like the pirates are treating me as like a, uh, you know, a a project, right. They probably put a lot of money into them and, and, and see a future for them. Um, but, uh, you're going to bench press, you're going to do pull-ups, you're going to do all kinds of stuff in between, right? Lots of scapular stability exercises. So whether it be some of those kind of band type of exercises I've posted in the past, um, or just going to be simple breathing stuff, right? People underestimate how powerful your diaphragm is when it comes to T-spine mobilization and, and, and postural strength. Um, and then just really, rounding out his program, right? Like, so I, I looked at some of the stuff he was doing one, he wasn't training enough in season and two, he wasn't training with enough variety. Uh, I don't know if that was because they were scared to do upper body stuff in season with an overhead athlete. Um, but if you're strong, you're strong. <laughs> and then your, your, your minimum effective dose goes a lot farther, right? We know that training residuals with strength last a lot longer than specific type of energy systems and, and things like that. So with him, I, I spent a good couple couple of months, really building this foundational strength. And then we really, uh, started working on like honing in that upper body, right? Everything we did was from a split stance. Everything we did had both anti-rotation and rotational movements to it. When it, when it came to working on his basically his rib cage and, and his, his core, if you want to call it that, and then from there a lot of his scapular stuff started to to clean up. Um, not to mention he was also seeing a, a PT as well. And then the PT and I both got on the same page of what they were doing. So I wasn't doing the same stuff here as well. So it was kind of nice. I didn't have to program a lot of some of those minor warm-up and kind of uh um, auxiliary accessory day type of things to do for a shoulder. And I could really drive some adaptations with some more loaded and or like specific oscillatory perturbation type of exercises with him and really, uh, yeah, challenge that shoulder stability, um, the scapula to me is uh, very, very important. I watch how that thing moves, whether it's uh, upward rotation, elevation, depression. I want to see someone that has rhythm and balance between all the muscle groups uh, involved, regardless of whether they're an overhead athlete or not. And, uh, if you don't have a strong back and a strong cuff, then the chances are your posture sucks and uh, you're probably going to have some kind of anterior shoulder pain. So it's, it's pretty simple once you start seeing enough repetition and pattern in those kind of cases. And we know sitting uh, for a long periods of time doesn't help that. Uh, cause and then also what your training balance is like um so he did a lot of posterior chain and cuff and scapula stuff with me uh, probably more than he did and uh, i made sure i sent him home with uh some prehab and um some stuff he can do in season to just keep that rolling without it being uh, too much volume to affect his throwing volume right because that's something baseball has gotten really big into now is really understanding load management and using, um, the same principles we use as, as, sport performance coaches, um, with their baseball athletes. Right. Especially, uh, I don't know if you heard of drive line. Have you heard of that? I don't think so. Um, Oh, they're amazing, man. The guy actually, uh, He started out in Seattle and he still works there and runs his business. It's huge now in the the baseball world, but they've been driving a lot of the data analytics and and also high level of sports performance, um, in baseball. And, uh, if you have any interest in in learning, um, about how to work with overhead athletes, I don't know if you've got any quarterbacks or anything like that. Um, you could learn a lot from their plyometric protocols they have for throwing uh, both, both, like just general pre-training stuff. And then also like more aggressive, like weighted ball type of, um adaptation phases right so uh you know I, I think baseball's been doing a good job of taking the same principles we use in strength and conditioning basically working the force velocity curve but doing it with a skill specific movement because you can do that with a baseball right um whether it's throwing it holding it doing it in reverse doing it with constrained movements patterns by taking the legs away or taking the, the arms away and just doing lower half type of things so i think that's something i really took from baseball in the strength and conditioning is those constraint drills and trying to apply them into strength and conditioning exercises. Um, and a lot of people do that. I just don't know they term it that way.
0: I, I love that. Uh, you talk about build the, the, build the foundation of the athlete and kind of, I, I kind of view it as like, what are they not getting on the field that we could give them in the weight room? Cause I think that's like, you, you talked about a lot of that posterior work like that, that overhead athletes in that front of leg like throwing forward thousands of times. And when, when are they ever going to get that opposite motion?
1: Yep, I mean, uh, I had him doing basically lots of hinging, lots of scap stuff three times a week (laughs) and uh, a lot of core stuff as well. Uh, Like I said, any flexion, any extension, any rotation, and the opposites of all those movements as well. And just uh, not necessarily loaded with those, but, um, kind of working those, uh, the, the difference between full range of motion and then more static, uh, neutral position, strength based exercises.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy how much stuff clean, how much of the small stuff cleans up once you attack the bigger foundational pieces, which, cause a lot of guys are like, I want this super specific. And it's like, all right, let's clean up some of the bigger parts first. Yeah. And then if we still need some of these smaller things, we can do that.
1: I, I think you can do both. That's one of the things I think I've been pretty successful with is like, I get the training basics so well from me doing them for a long time, but that's not something I have a hard time getting across to my guys. It's about showing them what the right balance is between obviously your basics and then also your kind of end ranges or, or explore the corners, right? I know Vernon likes to say that here, Virginia high performance, Um, you know, another kind of uh, analogy we use is brick and mortar, right? So like you can build a house with bricks, but there's no mortar. it still might fall over in the wind or with a good push. So I think as long as you have that, balance in your training process to hit all of your foundational stuff and then also hit some of those kind of in range type of concepts as well as long as there's good balance with it i think that's how you build a complete athlete not just a specific athlete honestly i don't want a specific athlete because that's why they're coming to us in the first place they're products of their specificity so i want to round them out in the way that's going to most help their sport
0: yeah. I love that. So another thing that I see you post about is kind of play and training and talking about, I'm, I'm pretty big into this recently with, with a lot of my football guys, but how are you implementing play and training and kind of going about that?
1: Um, you're talking about sports specific positions or like making games out of everything that I do as Almost far as cognitive games.
0: Yeah. Cognitive and gamifying things.
1: Yeah. Um, to me, uh, that, in with the nervous system, if, if you can make something a game, regardless of whether you're eight years old. 18 years old or 80 years old. Um, it's just it's it's so much more directly going to be adapted. And that's just from personal experience. Um, you know, I know we've all had teachers or peers, what we see and then they just drone on. And then you have those cool teachers that found a way, right, to give you something interesting, interesting and engaging. So pretty much if I can bring any kind of novelty or engagement to a training session, it doesn't have to be with every exercise. Um, that is something I picked up from that IKN uh, uh, course is like really training the the visual system, right? It's something it's something as easy as. Um, when you're doing the warm up, so like when I have my guys kind of do some of their like band monster walks and stuff like that, um, I can do things what they call like a saccade. So it's like I have two sticky notes, so I have a blue one and a yellow one, and I just have them look at the X on the blue sticky note, and then I have the yellow one and I move the yellow one around and I just call out colors, right? And so I don't need a thousand dollar vision board. I can just use sticky notes and uh, or cones, right? Anything that's a different color. And, um, you know, that really kind of gets guys dialed in, right. If you're just looking for more focus, right. At the end of the day, it's really hard to coach intent. And to me, that is what we need to drive the adaptation. Um, The most specific thing and uh, being able to relate that importance to your athlete is really easy to do with games or just novelty without it being overshadowing what your real purpose is which is right either warm the nervous system up or or hit uh, hip specific movement pattern for the day and build strength and resilience in that range of motion so
0: yeah you can try to drive home run fast as much as you want but you haven't raced somebody they're, exactly. they're gonna try and run fast
1: I don't, I don't use anything else other than mirror drills when it comes to my uh brief speed work of my, my youth athletes i just think it's it's too good not to use. And I'm, I'm using such a long rest period with the amount of kids I have that it makes them hungry to go hundred percent as well. So.
0: Yeah. And I love, I love the intent part that you talked about too, because that, that's something that I've noticed my athletes is even if it's not a big game day or not a big sprint day, let's say it's a, a lower upper body day. If we do something small, so you did the sticky notes, but we'll, we'll do um, like even just a med ball catch drill, like we'll just go back and forth. Like the, the amount of energy you get when we're going into the weight room, then it, it, it's so much higher than if you had just sent them, like, we just did a general warm up and like, all right, we're going to go. And then they're like dragging their ass into the weight room. But then now they're like, Oh yeah, we just competed. Like we're ready to go. Let's throw some weight on. Any,
1: any day I'm dragging when I'm trying to do my training session, um, I try to hit the heavy bag or I'll do like some of, uh, my, uh, agility drills as well um that i do with my athletes because it just it, it dials me in right normally sometimes I'll, I'll kind of skip some of that stuff and, and do my normal slower movement especially if it's more of a strength focused day um but nothing wakes me up both my mind and my body like, like doing the heavy bag or, or doing some agility drills just some if that's just the athlete in me or what
0: no i'm just I, that's awesome you said that i just recently like the last two months i started playing spike ball before i uh that's- I went to go workout, and every single time I'm like, all right, if I'm dragging ass, I'm like, I got to go do something, get that competitive yep. juice flow. I, and then I'm going to go flow through
1: to do that with my, my youth athlete groups a little bit, especially some of the boys. Cause they just, they're super competitive. Plus I'm super competitive and I love to beat them and talk smack. So yeah, that's a perfect warm up. It doesn't need to be uh too long but yeah a good five minutes of that one game and you're ready to go
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome all right the, the last part here um before we get into kind of the rapid fire round is the the force velocity spectrum that i see you talk about a lot in your post as well can you for the listeners that might not know what it is can you kind of describe just give a brief overview of what it is and then talk about the importance of working the full spectrum with your athletes
1: Absolutely. Um, so the force velocity spectrum is you're taking the concept of absolute strength. So like the most weight you can move or the most force you can apply to the rate of force development but usually it's it's slower right um and then you're sliding down that scale to absolute speed um which is really probably other than throwing a baseball or sprinting that's about the most absolute speed thing you can do but you can kind of drift out of that a little bit up back up the scale and do speed strength or strength speed and so just trying to really play with contrast training, right? Whether it's a, a true French contrast style of training, where I'm going from a, you know, heavy squat to a, you know, a jump to a loaded jump to an unloaded jump or a assisted jump. Right. That's, that's obviously a great example. Um, but you can do that with shoulder exercises too. Right. So like with some of my baseball guys, I'll have them do a heavy band. So I take like a black or purple band and try to hold the isometric for as long as they can. And then just give me a really good negative. I know they can't do the the, the movement, right? But just that little bit of um, overload to the nervous system and to the local localized musculature that we're trying to uh, address. And then just working them up this, working them back down the spectrum to, uh, again, using the baseball athlete as an example, they could do that kind of band overload eccentric into Um, basically their normal movement with a stick or like that kind of oscillatory stick and then go right into like a throw, right? So like whether it be a weighted throw or, or an unweighted throw. So like a a towel drill or a light ball, like a tennis ball, um, really have a lot more specific programs for that, but that's just kind of an example of how you can change it from, you know, a very global adaptation, like a squat to a jump to something more specific like throwing. Um, so Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I
0: like that. Uh, so something I'm kind of curious about, is there a way that do you just go full spectrum all the time with a contrast or, and this might be more specific to my football athletes that I work with, but you get a guy that's almost completely on the four spectrum and has no velocity. Do you have a way where you, you test your athletes to see which one they need more of and then program that way? Or do you kind of stay general? And if you do, uh, what's kind of your method of doing that?
1: So, um, I'm fortunate I mostly work one-on-one so I can just really use my coach's eye. And, and as I have time with the athlete, um, and it depends on their training age too. Right. So if I have a guy who's been in the weight room for a while or is even older and, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to focus on that absolute strength as much. We're just going to touch on that. And then I'm doing a lot of power work, a lot of unloaded type plyometrics and, and, and things like that to, to try to ease them into that speed. Right. Um, and really work that side of the, the the curve for them because that's what they need. Um, and then other people are pretty general and I want to give them a little smattering of, of all of them. Um, and even with my younger guys, I still want them to do, you know, a combination of something kind of heavy and, and stability focused, whether that be a loaded split squat or a hex bar deadlift, and then going into something that's a little bit more, you know, like unloaded, whether it be a, Dumbbell jump or med ball throw and and then going into like a full plyometric, whether that be a sprint or a full change of direction, right. That, That really quick eccentric loaded movement. Um, yeah to me it's just it's it's specific to the individual i know that's really tough to do with a group of guys my advice to that would be try. i've had a lot of success with doing it in the same session with my own training um and also with my other athletes because it's almost like pap or post-activation potentiation for like your nervous system right it's it's something that i think If the the volume is correct, so it's not too much volume, um, you can do almost every session, um, and it does a really good job of... (laughs) accelerating that learning curve for guys is really hard, especially with, like I said, that condensed amount of time we have with guys to try to be like, okay, this is my strength block. Okay. This is my power block. Um, Obviously those are kind of our our global trends for each mesocycle. But that doesn't mean just because I'm in strength cycle doesn't mean I can't do some plyometrics or some, some power work, right. Whether it be an Olympic variation or a kind of a loaded, um, compound movement or type of thing, dynamic compound movement. I don't know if you use conjugate type methods, but, uh, I've had a lot of success with that as well. Um, and just making sure everything's tiered accordingly. I don't know if you use the kind of tier system, but I just kind of rotate those tier blocks, right. If I'm doing strength, I want my first tier to be heavy loaded, right? 80% plus. And then that kind of secondary stuff can be, um, you know, sub-maximal speed base. And then at the end, I could do a little bit of, you know, full speed, or I could put that at the beginning too, right? It just depends on what I want the primary adaptation to be realized. So I think, does that answer your question? Like just kind of.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, uh, that's just trying to find a way to microdose everything with still a global dose of what you want in that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the the, the last question I kind of have for you, and I kind of I really like this question, um, talking about kind of the changes in your program that you've had maybe in the last year or last six months or something that you thought was right and now is wrong, or now it's like holy shit, now my eyes are open. Like, has there any been anything big like that for you in the past year?
1: Um. Honestly, the biggest thing in my uh, change of programming is efficiency. So I haven't been able to experiment as much as I would like. So being forced to only have a certain amount of time and I've been getting my most of my workouts in first thing in the morning. I really have to be specific and efficient with what I'm doing. So I kind of really change that parameter up per the day, per how I'm feeling, even though I have a general plan. Um, Like if I'm going heavy, I'm going heavy. And I might only do three singles that day. And that to me, that's enough, right? Especially when you start really talking about doing like double body weight type of stuff or more. Um, And then when I'm going fast that day, right? Same thing as is like, I'm doing sprints or I'm doing uh, med ball throws. Like I'm just trying to, uh, really take that kind of cluster ideology and apply it with also my training parameters. And just, if I have 45 minutes, like what's the most I can get done in 45 minutes that stays within that specific parameter for the day. And it's also really teaching me about the work to rest ratio for each one of those kind of scalable force velocity type of, um, things we all chase as strength and conditioning coaches. So it's been really fun, um, I definitely still have my meathead days as well, but uh, I figured if I'm going to be training, um, you know, athletes and stuff, I, there's no reason I have to let myself go as an athlete as well either. In fact, I definitely feel like I'm in better shape than I was when I was younger just because now I've accumulated a lot more information and uh, I've been able to apply it with my own training. Um, I definitely went way too heavy way too often, for the, especially when I first got out of baseball. And when I started realizing, like, hey, man, that stuff sticks around a little bit, especially if you spent 10 years doing it, um, you know, I've been able to back off of that a little bit and uh, really chase some of these experimental concepts that I've done in my own training in the past, but really start going down further um, into the specificity of that.
0: So has, is that what you're training? Uh, like, are you training for anything specifically right now? Are you training for life or are you training to experiment with something that could stick Art, or is it-
1: man, I, I love, like I said, the martial arts and, and combatives. Yep. Um, and I've, uh, been able to implement that with both guys I work with and then also myself. Um, and to me, that's a true skill, but also a great conditioner, um, especially for the the specific, Uh, you know, act of of trying to go to your peak (laughs) intensity in an instant, so that's like max force and max velocity, uh, and the energy system needed to do that for repeat efforts. Um, to me, that's, that's a pretty good way to stay fit without having to spend a lot of time at it. Um, who knows? I may do a triathlon or a marathon someday, but right now that's not, uh, any specific goal like that and no, no you know, powerlifting or bodybuilding competitions either. And I'm not, I'm not into that stuff, but I do appreciate what they've given to the weightlifting culture and, and the, the knowledge pool.
0: I love it. So now we'll transition to our rapid fire rounds so i'll give you kind of short questions uh you can answer however long you want you can get into it if you want to but start off with number one what are uh kind of your favorite books that you think the listeners can get a lot out of
1: Um, training book wise, um, I probably read triphasic like three times a year. Um, I'm really pumped to go through Cal's new high school manual that they just released. Um, obviously anatomy trains as well, but that's a big one. Um, the, uh, was it muscles in motion? The app, that thing is awesome as well. Uh, I think that's what it is. Um, but just really being able to look at the global movement patterns of people and uh, trying to understand how to work those different systems, whether it be kind of Danny's type of offset sling loading stuff. He likes to, to push, which I think is awesome. Um, or it be just more dynamic stuff like, uh, you know, some of those um, rotational type of combative type of motions. I was just talking about with, uh, you know, combatives. Um, but uh, my other Favorite books that are non-training related. Um, my wife made me read this one. It's called But What If We're Wrong, Chuck Klosterman. That's a great one for just opening up your horizons as far as thinking. Um, I also got kind of turned on to that one uh through this other textbook we had to read in school called Agnatology. It's the study of ignorance. And ignorance is obviously like knowing what you can't know. Like If you're ignorant, you don't know that you don't know it. So I, I must, I think that gave me a good principle with my training is like what I'm doing is probably not going to be what I think is right. Even three months from now um, or three years from now or 30 years from now. So being that gives me a lot of confidence and being able to fail, as long as I'm sticking to my principles, I know that after kind of reading that book, like, Hey man, like it's okay to be wrong. and, And you might, be wrong right now um, that doesn't make you a bad person or anything. And and it also has a lot to do with geopolitics and and just academia and and broader concepts as well. Um, And then my other book that really helped me understand myself as a person is the Edison gene It's uh, about people with ADHD and it, Takes basically like a epistemology, or or basically a um, just the the kind of study of almost anthropological type of stuff, and like the kind of division between hunter gatherer culture and um, kind of more like farmer, uh, sedentary, like settler type of culture, and this is like thousands and thousands of years ago. Like it, it cites a lot of great information um, based off of like uh, the climate change and, and things like that, um, as well to kind of talk about those bigger picture things. And, uh, it also goes deeply into the psychology of that as well. Um, and then the last one, my last book that I really like, uh, is the alchemist by, uh, yeah, I Paul love that Vettel. one. I just, I just love that book. I think it's a great little read. It's fun to read. I could read it every year and get something new out of it. So and I think it's good for just people, you know, just being a better person. So, uh, that's, that's my, that's my book list for the most part. <laughs>
0: Uh, that The Alchemist, I think, has been rec- it has to be the number one recommended book on this podcast. It's probably okay. eight or ten times.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's classic. I, mean, I think I read it like three years ago, and I, I still read it every year. So I like it.
0: I love that. All right, transitioning to the next question. Um, who's a guest that you think we should have on that could really like open people's eyes or kind of give them a mindset piece that you you really like?
1: A mindset piece. Mm. Well, like I said, I mentioned Leland Salamana before that guy is an awesome family man. And, uh, I was with him before he even had a facility and now he's got a, a big, beautiful facility called IGA, um, sports performance. And it's, it's a, I think it's a Polynesian word for, uh, um, family. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he's, he's from Hawaii originally and in California Yeah, that guy's awesome. He he really helped me get my footing into this profession is uh, understanding that's what I wanted to do. Uh, Then also my buddy, Red Dowdell, he's uh, just got a job with DC United. Um, He's their head strength conditioning coach for that soccer club up there. He also went to VMI with my wife, so we've been friends for a long time. Uh, I even played travel baseball with him too, so we go way back. Um, And I just think he's genuinely a awesome dude. And he's really good with the periodization stuff. I mean, he can, with football guys, especially he would be able to really dive into the weeds with that with you, um, and, and give you a much more thorough, uh, understanding of of that. than I could, um, I understand it all. I'm not too great at articulating it though.
0: I love it. All right. So what's kind of next for you? Like what's your next big step in life? What's kind of your next big goal?
1: My next big goal. Um, <laughs> at the, uh, urging of Danny, like he, he's got me on this podcast with you here. Um, I'm also working on a lot of little research projects here at Virginia, high performance, and then also trying to do some articles and, and videos like he's doing. I just think it's, it, uh, if nothing else helps me refine my thought process, cause I definitely tend to be a little all over the place, even though the, uh, the right ideas are there. Um, like with most people, um, it's just, I think it'll help me re- kind of, uh, refine my uh, skills as a coach. And, and really help me understand, um, what my kind of specialty is, even though I don't think I have a specialty, I think I'm just adaptable to whoever I have, um, which I kind of take a little pride in as well. I'll, I'll take anybody. I don't care. Like I said, 88 pro football player, right. Pro, uh, curling champion. It doesn't matter. Uh, we're going to train. <laughs>
0: So when when you're on your your deathbed and kind of all this training stuff has passed and hopefully it's a long time in the future, but what do you really want your legacy to be?
1: Um, we used to have, uh, uh, other than the same Virginia tech pros and right that I may serve, I obviously take a lot of uh, pride in, in trying to be a good, uh, servant, right. Towards the people I work with. Um, but at, at UMBC, our, our president used to say, uh, watch your thoughts for they become your words, uh, watch your a- uh, words because they, for they become your actions, uh, watch your actions for they become your habits. And then. Uh, watch your habits for they become your character and then watch your character for that becomes your destiny or your legacy. So I, I really just hope that my uh, my message is that I lived a, a good life um, and I, and I uh, really tried to serve others and, and, and do my best uh, with both, you know, my wife, my family, my uh, coworkers, right. Going on this podcast with you and then all that stuff. Um, and then all the people I work with as well, as far as strength conditioning clients, um, so I really just hope people, uh, take that and, and are able to see that I, I tried to embody that and then also do it themselves and pay it forward type of thing. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but, uh, yeah, just the, oh. that, that's the, hopefully that big, good legacy, genuine person and, uh, um, doing it for the right reason.
0: I like that. All right. So the, the very last question that we have is, um, your billboard message for somebody that's kind of in that valley maybe maybe it's somebody similar to you that's going through that injury maybe it's somebody that doesn't really know what they want in life and they're kind of stuck in this little spot and they're looking for a piece of advice to get out what, what would that be for you
1: just take responsibility right at the end of the day you're the one that has to live with your thoughts and your actions so take responsibility for that and if you're unhappy right or you're upset or you're just generally not where you want to be in life, you 100% have control over that. And it might not be much that you're not going to get there tomorrow, but if you take that first step, then the next step gets easier. And, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll also probably pay it forward to the next person that sees you as well. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for someone else, but uh, hopefully you're doing it for yourself. Cause uh, at the end of the day, you're the one that has to live with yourself. So yeah, I like that. Take responsibility.
0: I love that. Yeah. If, 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 if you don't take responsibility, then, the, the, the order or the ability to change is in somebody else's hands and that that's yeah. never going to help push you forward. But I'm this, this was awesome. I'm excited for this podcast. I'm excited for people to listen. Thank you for being okay. on.
1: I definitely was all over the place, but, uh, Uh, I hope you guys got a few little, little nuggets out of there. It's, it's, it's basically how every conversation goes with me as well. I'm like, well, hopefully they got something out of it, but I I gave them a lot of information. Hopefully it's like a Jackson Pollock painting, you know, enough of it sticks that, you know, there's some real, real stuff in there. So
0: yeah, you throw a lot at a wall and somebody will take something from it that that's all we can hope.
1: Yep. So I think that's all of us are trying to do anyways. It's just, some of us are a little bit more refined with the experience than others, but, uh, you know, more power to those people as well. I'm trying to learn from them.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I think all of us are trying details
1: to, details are not my forte, but I definitely very observant and know that that's one of my weaknesses. It's something I'm working on and, and I hope, uh, you yeah. know, people can take something from me as well. Thank you
0: for being on the podcast.
1: Awesome, thanks, Austin. Uh, if you're ever up here, man, come train. I'd love to. I always learn more when I train with somebody, and see how they train, and I think talking shop is best done over the actual work we do. So, if you ever get a chance to get up here, meet me and Danny, it'd be a good time, I think. And if we're ever in Florida as well,
0: yeah, that would that'd be awesome. Get thrown into some offset loading or something like that.
1: <laughs> Play some spike <laughs> ball. We could do some Oklahoma drills too. I I, you know, I wasn't too good of a football player, but I mean, I'm de- I'm a good sized guy. I'm pretty fast, so. Yeah, I'll take my chances with some high schoolers.
0: <laughs> I, I'm retired from those Oklahoma drills. We went eight years of those. No, we're done.
1: <laughs> sure. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. But
0: <laughs> Well, thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.